The reading for today is Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 45. If you have one of these Bibles, then it's at page 1009. That's Mark chapter 6, verse 45. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake, and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars, because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out, because they all saw him and were terrified. Immediately he spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. They were completely amazed. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They ran throughout the whole region and carried those who were ill on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns, or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak, and all who touched it were healed. Brilliant. Well, good afternoon. My name's John T. It's great to welcome you this afternoon to Globe Church. If it's your first time, it's fantastic to have you here. And uh, we're picking up in Mark's Gospel. Lovely to keep that open in front of you. It's quite important to me that you're checking what I'm saying quite important to me that you see what I'm saying comes straight from the Bible, because uh, don't believe me, I'm just another man, uh, believe what God says in his word. But let's pray, let's ask that God would speak to us. Father, we thank you, we've just been singing that you'd show us Christ, and we pray that, we pray that by your spirit you'd bring, make this word live to us. That Father, where we feel sleepy, you'd wake us up, where we feel distant, Father, that you'd draw us close. Father, we pray for an encounter with you this afternoon, as we study your word, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, my guess is you've had a, we've all had the experience of having a phone call with someone and not being able to hear what the other person's quite what they're saying. You know what it's like? Particularly if it's an important conversation, you, you're trying to hear what they're saying, but you can't quite get it. And you've got that option. You either say, sorry, I didn't get that, or you just kind of go, mm, yep, yep, and hope they don't ask a question and to just kind of hope they don't say something like, will you give me a million pounds? Yep, yep. And... Uh, but as soon as there's something goes wrong on a phone, what happens is you, you have to work out which end the problem is. Right? So you start going, I don't think it's my end. I don't think it's a problem my end. My phone's fine. It's fully charged. It must be your problem, your end. And when there's a communication breakdown, it, we try and work out which end it's happening. And we sort of want to make excuses and say, it's not my fault. It's my phone's fine. It must be you. Okay, how about this then? How about the communication between God and humanity? Where does the problem lie in the communication between God and humanity? The Bible says that God is in heaven, and I think that most people assume that God is sitting in heaven quite a long way away, quite distant, quite aloof. And here's me, I'm ready to listen. I'm intelligent, I'm ready to think. And the problem must be with God. The problem is that God's too far away, or God's not speaking, or God's not clear, or God's not listening. 
we think the problem's with, at God's end of the communication. Uh, let me give you another example, just to drive this home. Uh, I don't want to bring back nasty memories for some, but imagine you're sitting in a maths lesson. For some of you, this isn't memories. For some of you, this is what you do every day. <laughs> and you are the teacher. And, uh, and you sit there, and you don't understand what's happening. Once again, the question arises... Is your teacher a rubbish teacher or are you a rubbish mathematician? And the instinct is, isn't it? Well, it's my teacher. He just doesn't explain it clearly. You know, if only, if only I had a better teacher, someone who actually understood maths, it would be great. And it's easy for us to blame others. That's what we do with God, I think. We say, if only God would make it clearer. If only God would do something. The communication's his problem. Well, I want to try and show you this afternoon. Actually, the Bible says the problem does not lie with God. The problem lies with us. And it doesn't lie in our brains. It's not that our brains can't work it out. I want you to look down at verse 52 of this miracle and see where the problem in the communication between God and humanity breaks down. Verse 52, Jesus, right? He's just done this spectacular miracle. He's just walked on water, and he's got into the boat, and the storm has been stilled. That is a pretty outstanding miracle. And his friends in the boat don't get it. They don't understand. There's no lack of evidence, okay? Jesus has made it pretty clear. But you see what it says where the problem is. They had not understood about the loaves... That was the last miracle last week, the feeding of the 5,000. They hadn't understood that miracle that Jesus did. They don't understand this miracle. Why? Their hearts were hardened. The problem is not with God and his communication. The problem is that the Bible says the human heart is hard. That's why they don't get it. Now, before we dive into the story, I just want us to think about what that means, okay? What does it mean that the Bible says the heart of a human is hard. And I want to try and show you a little bit about the human heart. This is quite big in this section of Mark. We're going to see lots more about this next week. About the heart, the human heart, what it's really like. And I think most of us assume, well, the human heart is a pure and innocent thing, isn't it? Actually, the Bible says something quite different. So I'm going to take you to three different verses. I'd love you to turn to them. If you've got a Bible, it will help you to stay awake to turn to them because it's reasonably warm in here. And I'm feeling quite sleepy standing preaching, so I don't know how you're coping sitting there listening. Um, I'd love you to go first to Jeremiah 17. Okay, have a look at Jeremiah 17. It is on page 777. Jeremiah 17 and verse 9. Okay, 777. We're just trying to, before we get to this story about Jesus walking on water, we want to understand the nature of the human heart. Look what Jeremiah 17 verse 9 says. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? That's a pretty blunt statement. The human heart deceives. It isn't reliable. It isn't truthful. The first ever car that I bought, um, actually I bought it with, with my wife, it was our first car. 
just to be clear. It was a Rover Metro. It was very beautiful. It was metallic blue. It had stripes down the side. Uh, the number plate was L651JVH. Isn't it weird? You remember? What a waste of space. That's taking up room in my head. But there it is. And uh, we bought it from a used car dealer in Southampton. And I kid you not, I promise this is true. The, uh, the used car salesman was called Swipe and Drive. And their tagline was, we swipe them, you drive them. That was, the, that was their selling thing, right? And I thought, that sounds great. They're going to be cheap, let's go there. This was all over their advertising. Um, I've got a feeling they weren't entirely honest. There's a sense in which there was something about them which didn't sit right. And as the exhaust pipe fell off as we drove down the road, I thought, yeah, I'm not sure about these guys. Now, I'm sure if you are a used car salesman, I'm sure you are very honest and reliable. I'm not casting any aspersions on all of the used car salesmen. But there are some, aren't there, who are a little less than reliable. But the Bible says that the human heart is deceitful above all things. You take the worst used car salesman. The human heart is more deceitful. It is not reliable. You can't build your life. You can't trust what it says, which is a pain in the neck because Disney tells us you've got to follow your heart. Go for your dreams. The heart, my heart will go on. That's not Disney, that's someone else. My heart. That's Titanic. How embarrassing that that came into my head. Oh, dear. I'm such a different generation to most of you. Anyway, uh, the heart, okay, the heart. Our world says, no, the heart is all about the heart. Follow your heart. Do what your heart says is true. The Bible says the heart is deceitful. That actually it doesn't tell us the truth. Let's, let's have a look at something else. Uh, Psalm 14. Go to Psalm 14 and verse 1, which is on page 549. Now I realise at this point, some of you may be feeling a little bit like this is a bit harsh and a bit un- unkind. Well, I'm, as I say, my job is to show you what the Bible says. We're going to try and tile this together. Have a look at Psalm 14, verse 1. This is fascinating. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. So Psalm 14, verse 1. The fool, that is not... Okay, fool in the Bible doesn't mean stupid person. It means person who's against God. Uh, the fool says, Where? Where does the phrase, there is no God, come from? You see, most people want to say it comes from the mind. I have an intellectual problem with God. I can't cope with the idea of a God. But the Bible says, no, when someone says there is no God, it fundamentally comes from the heart. It is not that I don't intellectually believe there's a God. My heart says no. My heart is rebellious. So it's interesting, isn't it? When you hear people who say there is no God, they tend to get very angry about it. Now that, doesn't, that, that puzzles me. Why do people get angry about something they don't believe in? Look, I don't believe in fairies. I'm sorry if that's killed one, <laughs> if you know Peter Pan. Uh, I, don't, I don't believe in fairies, but I'm not angry about it. 
I don't run around shouting, there's no fairies! That would be weird. But people are angry about there being no God because actually the statement there is no God is not an intellectual statement first and foremost. It's a rebellious statement and that's why it makes people so angry. Because the human heart is deceitful, Jeremiah 17, and it's rebellious. It says there is no God. It sets itself up against God. One more and then we'll come back to the story, I promise. We'll get to the story. Daniel chapter 5. Go to Daniel chapter 5. Ezekiel... Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Daniel. Where have you gone? Daniel chapter 5, which is on page 890. Page 891, stick with it. And uh, still trying to just analyse the human heart. Daniel chapter 5. And can you see, halfway down on page 891... Sentence number 20, verse 20. It's talking about one man called Nebuchadnezzar, and it says this, interesting, look. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. Do you see? The human heart becomes hard when it becomes proud, arrogant about itself. So here, if you like, is... A quick summary of what the Bible says about the human heart. It is deceitful, it's rebellious, and it's proud. In other words, it's all about me. It's about I, I, I. It's about the ego. Ego is just the word for I in some other language. Ego. It's all about I. It's like I say, I am. You know, you know, the, the, the classic example of this in our culture, when you turn on the voice on Saturday night, which I'm sure most of you don't because you have lives, but when you turn on the voice on a Saturday night and there is will, I am. That's, that's humanity. I am me. I get to define who I am. I am. This is the, this is the statement that defines our culture. Our, you've got to understand this in our world. Our culture says, I am I get to define who I am, not you. I get to say who I am. And whatever I say about myself, that's true. So if I want to define myself as a man or as a woman or as neither, that's my choice. I am. This is the human heart. The human heart that says, I am. It's about me. Right. Keep all of that stuff. Okay? That was a lot of background stuff. If you like, we'll kind of put that on a shelf and we'll come back to that in a minute. Go back to Mark chapter 6. We're going to get to the story now and it's a great story. But with kind of all of that stuff in our heads, we're now going to work our way through this story. And I want to just quickly take you through the story, show you four things about Jesus. Okay, four things. And if some of what I've said so far has kind of offended you, please don't switch off. Please keep listening because I want to show you Jesus and show you what he's like. And then uh, we'll try and land it all. So here we go. Four things. Let's have a look. Here's my first thing, right? If you're, if you're making notes, you can write this one down. Jesus takes initiative. That's the first thing I want to show you. Have a look at verse 45. Jesus just, uh, he's just fed like 5,000 people in the desert with bread. 
And then verse 45, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to Bethsaida while he dismissed the crowd. After leaving them... Right, hang on, look. Why did they get into the boat? Because Jesus told them to. It's actually a really strong word. It literally means Jesus compelled them to get into the boat. Get in the boat and go to his disciples. My mum and dad lived for two years in Uganda. And they got this great phrase in Uganda. You know when someone comes around and you want them to leave and they haven't? And they're like still here? In Uganda they have a phrase for this. This is so cool. You say, uh, can I give you a push to the door? That's what you say to people. Isn't that cool? So they're sitting there and you go, can I give you a push? Anyway, I'm sitting there and my mum and dad say this to people. I think this is so rude. Isn't that a great phrase? Can I give you a push? (laughs) That's Jesus here. Jesus gives them a push to the boat. He says, you go on ahead. Jesus is taking initiative. He's putting his disciples exactly where he wants them because he's going to teach them something. Jesus takes the initiative. He's completely in control. You'll know if you've been around for the last couple of weeks that this is a key point in Mark's Gospel. Jesus, it's like Jesus done all these miracles and stuff, but no one really gets it and his disciples don't get it. And it's Jesus is teaching his disciples all the time. And as he pushes them into the boat to go, we're then told, verse 46, after leaving them, he went up on a mountainside to pray. What do you think Jesus was praying? Jesus goes up on a mountainside and he's praying. We don't know what he prayed, but what might he have been praying? I don't think it's too much of a stretch to imagine that Jesus was praying for his disciples. Father, please let them see. Please help them to understand who I am. Crisis point. This is a really serious moment in Jesus' ministry. And he goes up the mountain. He spends time with his father, Jesus, the perfect son of God, with his father. And then look, uh, verse 47. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake and he was alone on the land. He saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. So here is Jesus, he's on the mountain, he's praying, his disciples are in the middle of the lake. And they're in trouble, can you see it? They're they're straining at the oars. That's a strong word, it literally means they're like, they're being tortured. Same word that the demons said to Jesus in the chapter before. Have you come to torture us? Same word. They're being tortured in this boat as they try and pull the oars. It's a strain, it's a struggle. And Jesus sees them, I'm not sure how he sees them because it strikes me, in the dark, it's quite difficult to see, except that he's the Son of God, and therefore he can see. He can perceive what's happening. I love this. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them, walking on the lake. You see, what I want to try and show you is that Jesus, he sees these guys struggling in the boat, and he does something about it. He takes the initiative. He goes to them. Do you know, every other, I want you to know this, right? Every other religion in the world says you have to work your way to God. Actually, God is in heaven and you have to work your way to him. Jesus is the only one who leaves heaven to come to us, to take the initiative, to come find us. That's how 
We can know him because he comes. He comes to find him. And when we're struggling and when it, life feels like a nightmare and we're straining at the oars, Jesus sees it and he comes to us. That's my first big point. Jesus takes the initiative. But secondly, here's my second big point. Jesus reveals his godness. He reveals his godness. Right, I'm going to read verse 48 again and I want you to tell me what is the weird thing about verse 48. There's something weird. Very weird. And when you read something strange in the Bible, it's a clue that it's important. Right, here we go. Verse 48. Jesus saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Shortly before dawn, he went out to them walking on the lake. He was about to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. They cried out. What's weird? What do you reckon? He's going to go past them. Doesn't that, doesn't that strike you as weird? Here's Jesus on, on, on the shore. There's the disciples straining at the boat. Jesus is going out to them. Of course he must be going to go and help them, right? But actually, the picture is that Jesus is going, all right, lads, <laughs> what's that? Why is Jesus going to walk past them? Surely if Jesus wants to help them, he's going to make life easier for them. No, that's, that's the mistake. Jesus has got something bigger he wants to do than just make their life easier. I want you to know this, okay? Jesus' biggest desire for you is not to take all your problems away and not to make your life simple. He has a bigger desire for you. He wants these guys in the boat to see his glory. He's about to pass them by. Right. I'm going to show you something, okay? I want you to keep your fingers in um, Mark 6. We're going to go to one other place. This is the last time I'm going to ask you to turn. But can you go to Exodus chapter 33? Exodus 33. It's on page 92, okay? Exodus 33. And uh, in this book of the Bible... God is kind of rescuing his people. And there's this time when his people are in a desert on their own and he gives them bread. Ring any bells? Just like Jesus in a desert gives his people bread. And then this man Moses, who's the leader of God's people, I want you to look from verse 18. This is a brilliant, this is my favourite prayer in the Bible. Moses says to God, now show me your glory. Isn't that cool? And look what God says. The Lord said, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I'll have mercy on him, I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on him, I'll have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. God came and his glory passed by Moses. And he showed his glory to Moses. Now here is Jesus about to pass by his disciples in the boat. Could it be that Jesus on that lake wants to show them a glimpse of his glory? He's going to show his glory passing 
by his disciples. Come back to Mark 6. He was the God of all the universe who fed the crowd in the desert, who now walks on the sea. Job chapter 9 says that it's the Lord Almighty who treads the waves. Jesus is God, all right? This is something only God can do. And he's about to pass by because he wants them to see his glory. But they think he's a ghost. They cry out because they saw him and terrified. Okay, now look at the second half of verse 50. Immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, Take courage, it is I. You know what, you know what that is? Ego. Jesus said, Ego, I am. Jesus on that lake stood before his disciples. He's still up, right? He's still on the sea. His disciples are in the boat, and Jesus says to them, I am. He reveals his glory. He says, This is my glory. I, you have to see my glory. You have to see how glorious I am. That is what Jesus is doing with his disciples on the boat. And so our hearts that are deceitful and our hearts that are proud and our hearts that are rebellious, Jesus said, you are not, I am. And in that moment, as if he says, I am the one in whom you find your identity. I'm the one who defines you. I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who created and gives you purpose and meaning and hope and freedom. I am. Jesus stands on the waves and says, I am. And even this afternoon, he stands and he says, I am. It's me. I'm the one who will take away your fear. I'm the one who will give you courage to live in a tough, struggling world. That was the second thing. Jesus takes initiative. Jesus reveals his goodness. Then I think comes the most miraculous bit of the whole miracle. Because you might have thought walking on water was pretty good, right? But I think the next bit is even more remarkable. Verse 51. Now, we've got to think, all right? We've got to use our brains. Verse 51. Then he climbed into the boat with them, and the wind died down. Why does he get in the boat? Seriously, why does he get in the boat? He doesn't need a boat. He seems to be coping fine without a boat. Why does he get in it? And this is the beauty of Jesus, right? The great I am, the creator of the universe, the one in whom all meaning and all purpose are found, humbles himself to get into their boat. The great Jesus, the great king, gets into their wooden boat. This is what the Bible means, this, this idea of condescending, not, not in a kind of, that's a bad word now, isn't it? Oh, it's very condescending. No, not that sort of condescending. Condescending, though, means shrinking down. The glory of God come and willing to become in their boat. They've got the God of all the universe in their boat. <laughs> Isn't that like mad? But this is who Jesus is. He's not some high, aloof, almighty who stands out in the waves and says, well, you stay in your boat. I don't need no boat. 
You know that quote, um, there's a, you've probably heard this, there's a great quote by Muhammad Ali. You know the Muhammad Ali quote? The, uh, I mean, there's lots, but um, it was time when he was on an aeroplane and he wouldn't put his seatbelt on. And he said to the air hostess, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And the air hostess replied, Superman don't need no plane, now put on your seatbelt. <laughs> but he could have easily said, he could have stood on the waves and go, God don't need no boat. I don't need your boat, you losers, in all your pathetic smallness, couldn't he? And yet he didn't. He said, yeah, I'll get in your boat. Can I get in? And he gets into their boat to be with them. And as he gets into their boat, the storm is still. I want you to know this. This is the beauty of Jesus. He's not some high and lofty king who sits on a mountaintop and wants nothing to do with you. He comes right down to where we are, right into our weakness, right into our boat. As we struggle and strain at life and it feels so hard, Jesus comes right there. Despite the deceitfulness and rebelliousness of our hearts, Jesus comes right there there. In fact, not just to a wooden boat. He comes right to a wooden cross where he dies. He's so passionately concerned for you. He's so desperate for you to see his glory. He so wants you to find your meaning and your purpose in him that he would exchange all the glory of heaven for a wooden boat and then ultimately to a wooden cross where he dies. And as he dies on a cross, The storm of God's anger, which should fall on me, is taken by him. You know what? Because my heart is rebellious, because my heart is deceitful, because my heart is proud, because I've set myself against God, because I've said, I am, I deserve to be under God's storm for all eternity. It's what the Bible means by hell. I deserve God's storm forever. And Jesus said, I don't want you to suffer that storm forever. Jesus said, I've come. And he comes right into my storm. He stands in my place. He faces the storm. He dies so that I can have peace and be saved. This is our king. He gets in the boat. But the disciples don't get it. They're completely amazed. They've not understood. Their hearts are still hard. And here's my fourth point, and we're going to finish with this. And that is to see that Jesus perseveres. He keeps going with these guys. Do you know, I think if I'd been Jesus at this point, I'd said, oh, for goodness sake, this is ridiculous. You stupid man. I've had enough of it. How much much more do you want me to do? I've I've calmed a storm, I've fed 5,000, I've walked on the water, I've got in your boat. What more do you want? They still don't get it. And yet still Jesus perseveres with them. So look at verse 53. When they crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret and anchored there. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. They're running from all over the region, carried those who were ill on mats to wherever he heard he was. And wherever he went, into villages, towns or countryside, they placed those who were ill in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Jesus keeps going and going and going. As the crowds keep coming, they don't understand. None of them get it. No one gets it. They're all just legging it to him to get a bit of healing. And Jesus keeps going with them and keeps loving them. Because they are going to get it. Because Jesus is going to show it. 
And for some of you guys here this afternoon, you know how Jesus persevered. Some of you are Christians here this afternoon. It took years, didn't it, for you to really get it? And even now, don't you find you still don't get it sometimes? You still mess up. You still go, oh no. We still don't see who Jesus fully is. He's so patient. He perseveres with us. He reveals himself again and again. He shows us his glory. And maybe for some of you this afternoon is the time when Jesus is saying, look, I've showed you this again and again and again. Come on, trust me. You've seen, you know. Turn away from that proud heart that says, I am. And Jesus says, turn to me. Find your I am in me. But there will be some who who don't ever hear this message, who hate this message because they say, no, I am. And no one tells me what to do. And my job this afternoon is to warn you and to say, a hard heart is a dangerous thing. A hard heart will keep us from Jesus, the one man who can save us. And this afternoon I would plead with you to come to him. So as we've seen all this, okay, we've seen a whole pile of stuff. Here's where we land. I wonder if this afternoon you would be willing to pray that prayer that Moses prayed. Jesus, show me your glory. I want to see it. And to stop making excuses and saying, well, God hasn't shown it. God hasn't done this. The problem's in us, you know. Our hearts are hard. And maybe you've been following Jesus for years and years and this afternoon you just want to say again, Jesus, I want to see more. Show me more of your glory. Forgive my hard heart. Show me more of your glory. That would be a great way to respond. And we're going to pray together and we're going to have some time to sing and to respond to this amazing miracle that Jesus did. He wants to show you his glory. Will you let him? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you that we do not have a king who is distant and far off, who stands on the waves and keeps us at distance. We praise you that we have a king who comes right into our boat, right into our situation, to identify with us, to love us, even to die for us. Father, we pray that we would see Jesus. Show us your glory, we pray. That you might soften our hard hearts. That you might change our deceitful hearts, our proud hearts, our rebellious hearts. That you might change us. That we might see him. Father, show us your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.